Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So we will pick up here. Uh, Step three, uh, understanding uh, the impact of my suffering. And when you put that word understand up there, the first thing I want to do is to explain to you what we don't mean by that. Because oftentimes we look at that and we go, great, this is where I understand why. This is where I get to, it, it gets explained to me what the purpose of having to go through this was. And when we say understand the impact of my suffering, uh, we, we can't promise the answer to that question any more than Job was promised the answer to that question. But what we want to know here is to understand the number of ways uh, that this loss is affecting me and to grasp how those influences uh, are connected with my day-to-day life. I want to understand how this suffering is impacting me. And with that, uh, H. Norman Wright, I think, gets us started on a a good foot here. He says, it's not just the loss of your loved one that is so painful. It's all the other losses that occur because of this one. The way you live your life, the way you love, sleep, eat, work, and worship are all affected. Often the the death of your loved one brings up not just grief, for what you lost, but also for what you never will have. There is the loss of the present as well as the loss of the future. And that picks up with the notion of what we ended off with. That rarely do losses come patiently in a single file line where we fully deal with one before the next one comes. And and also here we begin to see that Grief in the singular is a deceptive term because it's not just that, okay, my grief is not like your grief is not like your grief is not like your grief. But my grief as a singular experience, as the loss of one person, could take on many different shapes and forms. When someone loses a child. And then there's the point where it would have been their high school graduation. It would have been their wedding. It, I think of grandchildren and what that would have been like. The, the type of loss that I have there at that given moment, it, grief in the singular almost doesn't feel like it captures the breadth and depth of what I'm experiencing there. Now, Within your notebook in this section, uh, there's 15 questions. Uh, 15 questions that aren't meant to be exhaustive, and we're not going to go over them in great detail here. But at this point, I would reiterate that point, that as you look at this, don't think of this as a riddle to solve. Our goal here is to help you take the different facets of your loss and to examine them one at a time. 
for you to look at the types of questions that would be there and to, to take them up one at a time instead of them feeling like a herd of buffalo that just trample you every time you pick one of them up. And hopefully in the context of friendship and relationship, that this gives you the opportunity to do that. And, and factors that impact how our, our suffering impacts us are things like, did you have time or reason to anticipate your loss? Or did it come out of the blue? Or was it something that was spread out over months, years, decades? What type of loss did you experience? I mean, there's a difference between the death of a parent, a child going away to college, divorce or retirement. Each of those could be losses that would result in grief, but they would be different. What kind of support system do you have? Family and friends. Here at the summit, one of the things that we emphasize is your small group. And it's why we've developed these materials so that hopefully they can very naturally fit within the small group life of our church. Things that you could go through within that community. Some of you may say, I, I'm not a part of a small group and I would feel overwhelmed or intimidated to walk into a group and do this. And that's why we have freedom groups. Uh, groups that are short-term groups that are gender and subject specific that allow you for a period of time to focus on a life-dominating struggle uh, in the context of community, hopefully preparing you, strengthening you, encouraging you, and leading you into the small group community of our church to where that ongoing care, that ongoing support uh, that will be needed as we go through life is something that you can find. What was the age of the person that you lost? Or how old were you when you lost them? You know, was it that I was a child losing a parent or a grandparent, not really understanding a love of life to even know what death was? Is it that I lost somebody my own age and that just brings my own mortality to light in a way that I wasn't quite prepared to deal with yet? Is it that it was somebody who was older and was going through a lot of pain and suffering and there's a sense of they lived a rich, full life and we can celebrate that in these final days together? How do you generally handle painful emotions? And this brings us back to that theme of grieving cleanly. Because the way that I have typically handled painful emotions, I will more than likely rely back on those things for better or for worse, when I'm going through a time of grief? Do I tend to isolate myself and pull away? Do I tend to get very angry? Do I try to busy myself and distract myself? How do I typically deal with those things? What other losses have you experienced and how much time has passed? It, it can be very heartbreaking to hear stories of people who have had multiple losses within a short period of time and they fear, barely feel like they get to come out from under one wave before the next one is washing over them and they just feel like they're drowning. How has this loss affected your social environment, your friends, your workplace, your place of worship? What significant events surrounded your loss? You know, did it come with you just starting a new job or just about to retire? 
Was it surrounding a graduation or a marriage or uh, the coming of a child? What kinds of things around that give it additional meaning and will add to the impact of the suffering? What was the cause of your loss? Was it known or was it unknown? What was your level of emotional stability before the loss? Were you feeling like you were just finally starting to get back on your feet and then one more thing took you down? Were you already at your wit's end and you didn't think you could take it? Were you at a spot where you felt strong and rested and maybe that adds to the sense of guilt of maybe I was taking life for granted or I just wasn't looking out for things the way that I should? How uh, How was the loss discovered and how was it reported to you? Was there a body that allowed for closure? Were those involved at peace with God, self, family, and others? Again, that goes into how the loss affected our social environment as well. Uh, What are your beliefs about death, suffering, and eternity? Uh, This is where, again, I have to pause and say, if you try to wrestle with all of those questions right now, it will feel like the herd of buffalo just running you over. But this seminar is that time of overview that gives you a picture of how do I go through the grieving process and it's why we give you a notebook to go through more slowly in the context of other relationships to help you with that. But C.S. Lewis in his memoirs of the loss of his wife again he says I think I'm beginning to understand why grief feels like suspense. It comes from the frustration of so many impulses that have become habitual. Thought after thought, feeling after feeling, action after action, had my wife for their object, but now their target is gone. So many roads of thought led to my wife. I would set out on one of them, but now there's an impassable frontier posted across it. So many roads once where I could embark on enjoyable conversations and thoughts and dreams, And now just cul-de-sacs that spin it back and remind me that they're gone. And and we see here that grief changes the way that we think. It creates new emotional connections. Going to the hospital. Driving after dark. The knock at the door. The ring of a phone. Just times of silence when I'm not expecting anything and I don't want to get caught off guard by something like that again. Or maybe it changes the way that we think and that some things just matter much less. Petty conflict. You hear people getting in a tussle over something and you just want to shake them and scream and say, Get over it! Do you think that really matters? Or maybe you look back on things that upset you before and you think, how could I get upset about that when this is what really mattered? Or success. You look at the time that you poured into things that were really important to you and you begin to weigh that differently. Entertainment. Maybe it just begins to feel very trivial and hollow. Or maybe it changes the way that you think and that the big pieces of our life just need new orientation points. Holidays, weekends, hobbies. And 
in light of this, within the notebook, one of the things that we look at is five common effects that grief often brings in terms of changes within our life. And one of those is just the loss of a sense of time. I don't feel like I know what time of day it is. I don't feel like I know what day of the week it is. I don't feel like I know when I'm supposed to get things done, what month it is, holidays. And, you know, we joke about, wow, it's Christmas again. Didn't see that coming. It can almost feel that way. Because relationships are so much a part of how we just keep up with the rhythm and the routine of life. And you take them away and it begins to feel like this bodiless, shapeless jellyfish. Or maybe my short-term memory just gets shot. Because I spend so much time reflecting on the past, embracing against the future, that it just squeezes out the present. And again, I begin to wonder, am I losing my mind? I can't remember anything. I didn't used to be this irresponsible. And again, I'm using sin language to try to explain it because I'm looking for something that gives me some degree of control over it. Changes in relationships. I'm not sure how to relate to other people. Maybe other people are just unsure how to relate to me. Do I bring it up? Do I not? Just my general view of relationships, how much they matter, whether or not I believe they're safe enough to engage into, those kinds of things change. Guilt. Uh, guilt becomes a major complicating factor. And if we had to talk about the number one thing that just makes for an unclean grief, it's the different ways that we try to take responsibility for our loss. And in the context of your notebook, it will knock out seven different ways that we often try to do that. I don't think those are the only seven ways, but my goal there is that it helps you put yourself into words so that you can hear it. Because if we ask, what's the biggest benefit to an event like this? It's probably hearing somebody on stage and going, you know what, I think like that. I've had that thought. I'm glad somebody else will say that out loud in a room full of people and other people will not nod and, or not shake their head and look totally confused. I'm glad I'm not crazy. And as we look at the different ways that we try to take responsibility for it, just seeing that on paper and being able to talk over it with somebody else and they go, that makes sense. That's a big part of where the relief comes. One of the other effects is often relief. And that's kind of the dirty secret of grief. Maybe it's I was in a long-term care relationship for the person who passed away and then I feel bad that my life is easier after they've gone and I wonder, did I really want them? I know I didn't want them to die, but it just kind of feels that way when I feel relief. Or maybe it's that I was in an abusive, unhealthy relationship and that life is easier in that way afterwards. Or maybe it's just the intensity of that initial wave of grief and I get on the other side of it and I begin to feel a little bit of relief and I feel guilty because I feel relief for that. And those are some of the common experiences that come. Now some of the other places that we would say, where do we want to understand the impact of my grief? One is for parents who lose a child. It, Sharon May points out a startling statistic. She says, the death of a child is likely the most tragic of griefs. 
as it appears so unnatural to the life cycle. The impact of a child's long-term illness and death has profound impact on the marital relationship. Studies have found that in cases where children were hospitalized, 70 to 90% of those marriages resulted in separation or divorce. And what we see there is that grieving well matters. Grieving is not just a season that I have to get through. As if I'm going to get through that and everything returns to normal. This is where steps 4, 5, and 6 make a big difference. Where we begin to incorporate what we're doing in terms of a story. But just sampling off this example here for somebody who's lost a child. Home becomes a place of remembering and pain more than a place of refuge and rest. I'm supposed to be able to come home and it to be my oasis. But I come home and it's the echo. The way you view your spouse changes. Do I think that they blame me? Do I blame them? Communication changes. Do I, do I bring it up? Um, and be a burden? Do I act like nothing happened and be fake and then everything just becomes artificial? I mean, how do you know whether to bring this up or not? Support. Do I ask them to care for me when I know that they're hurting just as bad as I am? Is that selfish? Is that wrong? Playfulness. It just ceases. Or it feels irreverent. Or I fear that I'm not going to be at the place at the same time that they are. And so we just, we start to pull away and we lose any of that sense of closeness or fun that we enjoyed. But it feels like the only way to honor our child. And that is, that is one of the major goals for this seminar. Whether it's that type of loss or another is that it gives people a communication structure, a place that raises those questions, not just within a marriage relationship, but within friends, so that we feel less alone in the midst of that. Because when you become alone in the midst of that, it's as if the intensity of it just keeps turning up and turning up and turning up. And when I find somebody who can understand, who will ask the question, who will let me talk, it's as if the heat or the intensity or the pressure, it just it feels like it can go down for a minute. And that's what we want to do with these materials within couples, within families, within small groups, um, within our community at large. And now another place where we see that is in the influence on young children. And uh, Judy Bloor, uh, again, she says, a child will revisit the event of death and the ensuing grief as she matures. At each stage of emotional and cognitive development, she understands the universe with more maturity. As she does so, she will also seek to understand this important event better. This means two things are true about helping a grieving child. And I would pause and say for all of us, because who feels like we're at the spot of maturity that we really understand and get our minds around these things? Uh, one of the most helpful pieces I found on grief was this piece written for children. Because at the time when we grief, 
we want things to be simple enough that when our minds and emotions are swimming, that if it's not understandable by a child, it's probably not going to be understandable by us. But she says two things. First, the task is never finished until the child reaches adulthood. And second, everything you say now is a building block for a more mature understanding later. And again, we would say those same things about us. First, the task of grief is not finished. Yet, we want closure. Yet at the same time, we resist it. Because the language of moving on, of just getting over it, it seems so irreverent, it seems so disrespectful, it seems like as soon as I hear that, something in my back just recoils, and if somebody else said it, I want to pounce on them. If I think it, I, I want to stop it, that seems wrong. Now, I don't want to make that to seem like closure is impossible. It's not. But, but I would define it this way. Closure is grieving cleanly, by not attaching false meanings, uh, imposing a suffering story that we're going to talk about in this next step. It's grieving cleanly by not attaching that suffering story to our loss and understanding our loss to the degree that our personal and spiritual maturity allows. And that takes us into the second thing that Judy Bloor said, that it's a building block for later. And here I would say, we only sort of get that we weren't made for this world. We treat this world as if it's our home. And we kind of acknowledge that we were made as eternal creatures for heaven. But in day-to-day -day life, that's just hard to get our mind around. And if I were going to, to compare it to something, imagine it to being a part of a church or a small group that you just dearly love and you build great relationships within that. And you know that that church and that those relationships are about more than that small group or about that church. That church or that small group exists for the glory of God to the ends of the world. But when it comes time for one of those people that you have loved and developed a deep friendship for or one of your children or your parent to go overseas, and you know that you will not see them again for a long period of time, there's a sense in which even though that you know that that is right, and you know that that's what it's there for, is there's a part of you that just, no! And in another way, grief, when we know that we weren't made for this world, and we were made to enjoy God in heaven, and to experience the fullness of His presence with those that we love most and those that love Him. Even in the moment when it happens, there's that part of us that screams, No! Because we only kind of sort of get that we weren't made for this world. And that is, that is a hard part of this story to assimilate in our life. 